Good afternoon, you are listening to The Stoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and via podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Brought to you by our news team, Alexandra Fernandez, Chancellor Miracle, Chris Laurie, Zayden Vergara, Dinah Jansen, Erica Singh, and me, Kareem Mosna. Well, some major local announcements over the past week, and who better to speak to them than our Member of Parliament, Mark Gerritsen. And I connected with him at an extra special location this time. Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Now, I understand I'm connecting directly to the House of Commons right now. <laughs> That's correct. I am uh, uh, just stepped out of the chamber for a few minutes to, uh, to give you an update. I saw on Twitter that uh, you gave our uh, Waban Crossing a, uh, a nice mention uh, in the House of Commons just the other day. Can you tell me a little bit more uh, about uh, presenting that? Well, absolutely. Um, it, uh, you know, as I think we can all be extremely proud uh, back in Kingston of the incredible work that's been done to deliver this new crossing of the uh, Cataraqui River. Um, 1.4 kilometer long project took uh, five years to build. Um, it took 50 or 60 years to get from the idea to an actual pro- um, an actual bridge. Um, and most importantly, uh, it was done on time and on budget. Um, which I think is very commendable and it speaks uh, to the incredible relationship that the city of Kingston has with uh, Qit, the uh, the uh, firm that's been uh, responsible for building the bridge. And uh, I wanted to highlight uh, their success as well as the incredible uh, collaboration and work that has been put in by the various different uh, unions uh, representing iron workers, uh, representing the La, La, La Una Union and uh, the uh, engineers as well. So, I mean, it's just, uh, I thought it was a great opportunity to highlight the incredible work that's being done in Kingston and uh, um, congratulate them for that. Excellent. And I understand uh, you've said in a statement that it will improve the quality of life for generations to come. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I mean, if you uh, have grown up in Kingston, um, like I did and been here your whole life, like I have been, you would have seen that the east end of the city is really growing at a much faster rate than the rest of the city. And this is really um this is really creating that link between the city core and the east end of the city. So in terms of improving people's ability to move around the city, uh, this bridge certainly um, uh, accomplishes that. But more importantly, the bridge also has uh, active transit transportation uh, routes on it. And it's actually uh, encouraging uh, those routes to be used given the the way that they've been built. Um, so it's going to improve the quality of life uh, from people's uh, ability to move throughout the city and to do so in an, in an active way if they choose to do so. And of course, it really opens up um, to Kingstonians uh, a new uh, perspective of our city. Mo- a lot of people who live in Kingston don't understand what it's like um, to be out on the water because quite frankly, a lot of people don't go out on the water. Um, you're going to be put right in the middle of the uh, Cataraqui River now um, and you'll be able to enjoy Kingston's uh, beauty and everything it has to offer from a different perspective. So I think there are several ways that's going to improve the quality of life uh, for Kingstonians and um, I'm looking forward to people having that opportunity. Amazing. Now, I understand an investment of nearly $10 million uh, was uh, directed through the Federal Economic Development Agency, uh, through the Tourism Relief Fund and the Canada Community Revitalization Fund, which is uh, quite a significant investment uh, to fund 37 projects in uh, the Kingston, France, Atlantic, and Addington region. Uh, so tell me, this is significant funding. How, is, how will this make an impact in, in our area? Well, a lot of this funding is geared towards helping 
a lot of those hardest hit uh, businesses from COVID uh, rebound. Um, we know that tourism significantly suffered, and we know that uh, we have uh, an obligation and a role to make sure that those those businesses who are probably the last to get back up on their feet are done so in a in a productive way that really really um, encourages that economic development. And so, yes, uh, approximately ten million dollars to thirty seven different projects um, in Kingston, Frontenac, Lanark, uh, and Lennox and Addington. Um, that will specifically support enhancements, uh, tourism recovery, and economic development, uh, generally speaking, in the area. So this is done through the Canada Community Revitalization Fund. It's a large uh, national fund, uh, as well as the Tourism Relief Fund, another fund that's been set up uh, specifically for uh, COVID relief. And uh, Kingston um, and the surrounding regions, uh, you know, we have a lot of popular tourist destinations, and we're going to uh, ensure that they bounce back and that uh, we continue to see that uh, economic activity from a tourist per, tourism perspective that we are, are we're used to seeing before COVID. And a lot of it from what I, I'm just reviewing some of the organizations that will be receiving this support, a lot of it is going towards, um, you know, uh, to improving or uh, perhaps increasing accessibility in some cases, uh, re replacing uh, some old equipment and other forms of maintenance. So really a, a wide variety of projects are going to be undertaken through this. Yeah, one of the ones right in downtown Kingston is there's about $300,000 going to the Marine Museum of the Great Lakes. So we have the only Marine Museum in the Great Lakes on the Canadian side of the border um, is in, located in Kingston. Um, they're looking to do some uh, retrofits to improve uh, the um, energy efficiency of their of, of the building, uh, as well as some other stuff. And that's what the $300,000 is going to the Marine Museum for specifically. It's an incredible museum that um, offers a lot for tourists, but also for um, groups like uh, groups of children that come in from schools or camps or whatever uh, they have to offer. And so this is a, a great uh, amenity in our downtown core that will be able to get some of the support that it needs right now. And another investment I wanted to briefly touch on, uh, the Canadian Frailty Network uh, receiving a federal investment of uh, $950,000 uh, in terms of creating this program to help seniors uh, with their lifestyles. Um, and I understand this is the first, I believe, in the country to, to offer this program to seniors. Yeah, it's a, I had the opportunity to make that announcement and learn quite a bit about what they're doing. But, um, you know, this is this is a program that's specifically geared towards um, Kingston residents that are older than 60 years old who want uh, to stay healthy and independent. And so what they have the opportunity to do uh, through the the frailty, uh, avoid frailty program is get an assessment from experts on, you know, some of the things that they can do to change their lifestyle in order to stay healthy and independent. Um, and then they can get connected with the various different um, uh, organizations and providers that can help them with those specific uh, um, needs that they might have individually. So it, it really is, um, you know, a, a unique program in that it's brand new. It's uh, it's the first of its kind, but it's really geared at, OK, how do we um, ensure that seniors and we know that there are more and more seniors every day as uh, po the population, especially the baby boomers, continue to reach uh, um, 
the age uh, reach uh, the age of being considered a senior and so we know that we have to ensure that we have these tools and resources in place so that they can lead the healthiest uh, and most independent lives uh, as possible so that's really what the program is is geared towards uh yes uh, just under a million dollars going uh, um, from the public health agency of canada to uh, this uh, avoid frailty program in in our area and i'm really anxious uh, and looking forward to seeing the results of what they're able to accomplish with uh, uh, so many of the seniors in our area and just finally you know as as we talked about you know, you're joining us from the house of commons you know representing uh, the kingston and the islands uh, you know and of course you know you're coming back to, you know, uh, announce uh, these funding, these initiatives, what, what really is, is, is your role to play uh, in, in, in getting the, these things to happen? Well, I mean, some of the programs, um, for example, the Avoid Frailty program, these are programs that are done th through, um, you know, the agencies working directly with the departments, putting in applications, um, and really outside of the scope of my work specifically. And then, um, you know, they get uh, um, approved and then, uh, you know, there'll be an announcement or whatnot. But there are other programs such as the Third Crossing, for example, where this is a, a project that we knew from the very beginning really needed uh, the support of all three levels of government. So it was a much more collaborative work at the local level of myself, the MPP, Sophie Koala at the time, and Mayor Brian Patterson, where we would work together on the strategy of how to make these requests from the various different levels of government and how to make them all kind of happen at the same time. So some of these uh, announcements and some of the funding come through streamlined uh, programs that exist. So the Avoid Frailty program, you know, was coming from uh, Public Health Agency of Canada under uh, money that they already have earmarked specifically for this type of thing. Uh, but then other stuff like those larger infrastructure projects that I just uh, mentioned, the Third Crossing, so, um, quite often have a much more collaborative approach to how do we make this uh, uh, happen, even though perhaps a specific program doesn't exist. And so, um, you know, no two projects are the exact same. Um, but, you know, that's my job to do when I'm up here in Ottawa is to continue to fight to, to make sure that Kingston get its, gets its fair shake, uh, so to speak, and I'll continue to do that. Amazing. Mark, thank you for taking some time out of question period to speak with us today. Thank you. I'll be going straight back in. Thanks a lot. And that was my conversation direct from the House of Commons with our MP, Mark Gerritsen. Now, from the House of Commons back to Queen's University, it's time for some campus news here on The Scoop. Hello and welcome to Campus Corner. My name is Erica Singh and here are your campus news headlines for today. Last week, Nigeria's Vice President, His Excellency Professor Yemi Osinbajo, spoke at Goods Hall where he addressed a live audience of 80 campus community members and over 500 virtual attendees during a public lecture on environmental sustainability and climate justice in Africa. During his talk, he highlighted the need for strategies that not only advance international decarbonization, but that also help alleviate poverty. The visit began with a meeting between the Nigerian delegation and senior figures from Queen's, St. Lawrence College, and UNESCO. Together they discussed shared goals of advancing the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and how collaborations and partnerships between the two could enhance these aims. The Vice President of Research, Nancy Ross, and the Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences, Jane Philpott, each outlined areas of collaboration, including low-carbon research, global health, and global oncology. 
In the new year, the International Office of the Vice Provost is also planning a panel event exploring further research and community engagement in West Africa. In other news, PhD student Howlin Tian has won a jury prize in the National Sciences and Research Council of Canada's Science Exposed Photography Competition. The winning image, captured by drone, shows Tian's collaborators collecting water samples from an algal bloom in Dog Lake, a water body on the historical Rideau Canal system. The striking image and other finalists are available to view on the NSERC website. That's all the campus news for today. Now over to Dinah Jansen with an exciting interview about an upcoming event. Thanks so much, Erica. Okay, folks. So Rowena is here to talk with us now about the Museum of Healthcare's updated popular vaccines and immunization gallery to reflect the latest innovations in vaccine technology. Rowena, tell us more about this project. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, so the Vaccines and Immunization Gallery was originally put in in 2013. Uh, so it covers uh, Canadian innovation in vaccines specifically, as well as the wider history of vaccines, um, and talks about uh, how these sort of innovations in vaccines have really uh, increased public health and increased public happiness. So it covers things like uh, smallpox, which of course is the first vaccine. It's where the word vaccine comes from. It's from uh, vaca cow from cowpox. Uh, so that was Edward mm. Jenner uh, experimenting with cowpox as a way to immunize people against smallpox, which was more damaging. Uh, it also covers whooping cough, uh, diphtheria, and polio. Uh, and associated with polio is our iron lung, which is one of the star pieces of the museum. It was created in 1937 uh, for the polio. It was a polio epidemic in Ontario. Uh, so they needed a lot of iron lungs. This one was created at the uh, Toronto Sick Kids Hospital for Kingston General Hospital. It's one of the star pieces of the gallery. Uh, and of course, the story of vaccination is an eternal one. It never really goes out of style. It's always important. Uh, but after sort of the rise of the COVID-19 pandemic, when we reopened in 2022, it was uh, very, very obvious that there was a sort of a big hole in the gallery now uh, because vaccination is very much in the public mind right now in terms of the COVID-19 vaccines. And in particular, a lot of the COVID-19 vaccines are with a brand new vaccine technology, which is mRNA vaccines. Uh, mm -hmm. So this update was sort of a way to address the pandemic and also to talk about this specific technology because it's very, very interesting. Uh, it's got a surprisingly long history. Uh, and also a lot, because it's new, a lot of people don't necessarily know a lot about it or understand it. So it was really great to be able to talk about it in sort of this fun setting because people go to museums for fun and we try to keep them entertained as well as educated. Uh, so we created a new panel that talked about mRNA vaccines, both how they work and how they were developed. And I talked to a number of researchers in the field in order to develop this panel and make sure it was accurate. Amazing. And now let's learn a little bit more about the new panel and also the associated artifacts covering the technologies and history behind the rise of the uh, m RNA vaccines. Uh, dig in. Can we dig in a little deeper? Uh, sure. Um, so uh, the panel itself is mostly text. Um, we are very lucky. Uh, Acutus Technologies actually gave us some uh, 3D image or um, 3D generated images of 
how these vaccines work, um, because Mm. they are very different from traditional vaccines. Uh, So in a traditional vaccine, you actually have the virus or a component of the virus. Um, It is not, you know, a happy live virus. Uh, It'll be killed or it'll just be a component of the virus. Uh, But mRNA vaccines are different um, because they don't actually have any components of the virus. What they have is a little bit of mRNA. uh, So that goes into the body. It goes into your cells. It does not go into your nucleus. Uh, (laughs) And then it interacts with the ribosomes, makes a protein. And then your immune system recognizes that protein as foreign material. And just like with with a normal vaccine, your immune system then learns, oh, wait, that's bad. And now I know how to deal with it. So it's a real, okay. uh, real innovation in uh, vaccination. And uh, I believe it was the 1980s they first started talking about when this was how this might be possible, because uh, the sort of complicating factor uh, is that the body does not like foreign genetic material. <laughs> uh, we don't really think about it, but genetic material is floating around everywhere. We're constantly shedding hair and skin, and so is everything else we interact with, uh, as well as sort of more aggressive genetic material. So something like a virus is going to want to come in and interact with your system. So your body does not like foreign genetic material. uh, So it tends to react very badly to mRNA because, you know, it recognizes that this is coming in from outside. Uh, So a lot Mm -hmm. of this sort of development of mRNA vaccines was figuring out how to make it so the body did not react uh, to these vaccines. And it's partly why there uh, some of these concerns about uh, genetic damage are uh, s- largely unfounded, uh, because your nucleus really is very, very well protected against this foreign genetic material, because that's where your da- DNA lives. Uh, so the mRNA that's put in your cells does not get into your nucleus. So it does not interact with that baseline genetic material. It just interacts with the cytoplasm uh, and with the ribosomes. The other thing is that mRNA doesn't tend to last very long, uh, which was an issue in developing vaccines because we wanted the mRNA to last long enough to get into the body and make the protein that trains the immune system. But pretty immediately, as soon as it's in the cytoplasm, things start uh, chewing it up for parts, basically. Uh, so there was a lot of challenges in developing this new technology that we wanted to talk about in this panel. And because we are a museum, we also talked a little bit about that sort of long history, starting with that uh, discovery of mRNA right up until the present day, and even a little bit into the future, because this is a new technology and we're still figuring out uh, all the cool things that we can do with it. I, uh, For instance, things like uh, they're talking about potentially, this is still a potential. We don't know how well it's going to work and how well we're going to be able to develop it, to develop it. Uh, but things like vaccinations against cancer or HIV, uh, which can be really, really difficult to deal with. Something like COVID, uh, it is more of a sort of brute force thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so COVID is not a smart, quote unquote, virus, uh, but something like HIV is actually interacting with directly with your immune system. So it is a lot more difficult to treat. And and now I wonder, I, I'm really intrigued by the idea of uh, medical science meeting the humanities here at the Museum of Healthcare at Kingston too. Can you, can you situate the gallery in the broader context of the history of public health and, and health in general, medicine. Okay, yeah, um, we have kind of a, a special role in that uh, a lot of what we do is provide perspective on that history and we provide a way for people to relate to it. 
Um, like mm -hmm. the iron lung that we have in the, that immunization gallery is a really good example uh, because, and this is not, uh, this is not unique to me. This is something I've read other people talking about. Uh, but the thing about vaccination is it's one of those, it's hard to prove a negative because we have all these vaccines and therefore we don't have all these diseases. The effects of vaccine can be kind of hidden um, because it is all things that you don't get. It is all problems that you don't have because of vaccination. Uh, and it is really hard to measure human pain and human death that might have been without vaccination. But something like you come into the museum and you see things like the iron lung, that provides you this really strong, suddenly this strong emotional connection with these old diseases. Um, so you walk in, you see the iron lung, you've probably had your polio vaccine. But you see the iron lung and suddenly you can kind of picture yourself into, in it and you might get a better context and understanding of what it would have been like before this vaccine had been developed. So that is what we see as our role is sort of helping people connect to the to modern healthcare and to these old stories. Um, a lot of sort of in vaccination in particular, a lot of the story we're telling is uh providing this context and perspective on what modern vaccination is like in the sense that we show the old tools that uh, were used for vaccination before we developed the sort of new hypodermics. Uh, so things like, uh, there's something called a scarificator, uh, which mm -hmm. is basically a box full of blades on a spring. Uh, it was originally used for bloodletting uh, because it would draw blood um, from the skin, uh, but it was briefly used for smallpox vaccinations uh, because you would cut the skin so you could put, um, you know, the, uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, don't worry, small. I'll edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <It's okay. laughs> you don't want like 20 minutes of dead air while I try to find the word. Um, so basically you could use it for vaccination. You could put whatever, um, you know, the smallpox pus or whatever um, on that. You cut the skin that drives that into the bloodstream. Obviously, we don't do that anymore. So seeing something like that also provides that context of like, look how things have advanced. You can kind of picture that uh, using this back then and now you have this sort of greater understanding uh, from seeing these objects. So I guess we, we try to connect people with the history that way in this very vis visceral, evocative way that you really don't get from maybe reading a newspaper article or a statistic in a book. Interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. And now, uh, Rowena, I understand that uh, the gallery update also is accompanied by a, an event that's happening on Saturday, December 3rd. Uh, can you tell us about this event and how people can engage it? Yes, we're having a party. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it is an event from December on December 3rd from 5 to 8 in the evening. So it's a little evening event. Uh, it is all ages, but it is not specifically geared towards children. So we invite, uh, you know, students from Queen's University to come for a visit. Uh, so what we've done is we've actually set up a uh, our own little uh, quote unquote vaccine passport. Uh, and our event explores the history of vaccination from that very early, like smallpox first vaccination, right up into this future I was talking about of potential cancer vaccinations and HIV. Uh, so students will travel through the museum and they'll complete different activities related to this history of vaccination. Uh, and they will fill out their quote unquote vaccination passport. We've been calling it get vaccine educated. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, and then they will, uh, everybody gets a little, everybody gets a little free gift and then they'll be entered into a prize draw for a larger prize. Well, that sounds like fun. Uh, certainly everyone make sure you, uh, uh, get to this event happening on December 3rd at 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Uh, it's also an event that's by donation and pre-registration isn't required. Uh, masking is still mandatory inside the museum. And uh, anything else to add before we close, Rowena? Uh, just that um, keep an eye on our social media. Uh, we have a lot of sort of, we, we're fairly active. Um, so we have a lot of talks, events, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if you missed our event, if you're busy on Saturday night, which is understandable, it's early December, uh, the vaccination panel is permanent. So you can come in anytime we're open to come see it. We are currently open Wednesday to Friday, 10 to 4, admission by donation. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rowita, and sharing so much about the update on the vaccines and immunization gallery at the Museum of Healthcare at Kingston. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Good evening, everyone. My name is Zayden Vergara, and it's time for the CFRC Sports Roundup. The men's and women's basketball team continue to climb the U Sports national rankings. The men's moving past the Brock Badgers to take third place and are situated behind the Carlton Ravens in first and the Victoria Vikes in second. The women's team also moved to third place, knocking the UFE Cascade down to fourth. Leaving the women's rankings are the Regina Cougars and the Bishop Gators in first and second place, respectively. In Varsity Club news, the men's water polo team competed in the OUA Water Polo Championship over the weekend in Hamilton, Ontario. The Gales took home the bronze medal in a 15-13 win over the Western Mustangs. The women's water polo team also competed in the National Collegiate Water Polo Championship over the weekend at McMaster. They fell just short in the bronze medal game in an 8-7 loss against McMaster. This week, I've had the opportunity to interview Queen's football community engagement and wide receiver coach Kwame Osei about his new book, Yes, I Am. Here are some highlights from my interview. I'm now joined by Kwame Osei, former CFL Toronto Argonauts player, high school educator, as well as public speaker. That's not all. You're also the Queen's football coach. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good, Zane. And how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, it's cold outside, but... Uh... I wore enough layers, so I, th I think I'm managing. I think I'm managing. <laughs> so you're in here today to talk about your new book, Yes, I Am. So uh, I'm gonna the the floor is yours. Can you can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, for sure. I, I'm here to talk about my new book, Yes, I Am. This is an affirmations book for children, an affirmation book for children, and I strongly believe that when you wholeheartedly uh, know yourself and you love yourself, then you have the foundation to achieve anything you want in life. So within your book, I, I like the, the messages that you're, you're outlining. How do you uh, convey those types of narratives? So every page has a, a, a certain scenario where a, a ch child is, is actually questioning if they can do something and then they're affirming that they can. For instance, um, it starts off with a, a, a character named Akosia who needs to clean a room, but she needs to start off by lifting this big, heavy box. So she's questioning if, if she can pick up the box and and uh, and she's asked, Akosia, are you strong? And she says, yes, I am strong. And she picks up the box and then proceeds to clean her room. So uh, there's various different stories. I use various different characters, uh, which which incorporates a diversity aspect to, to this book. It also challenges the adults to learn these names. So at the beginning of the book, I have a name glossary. 
and I put down the phonetic spelling of it so that you're able to pronounce the the the, the names right. properly. And there's also the meaning, the, the names, the meaning of the names is also there, which is powerful because uh, the the affirmations, majority of the affirmations are connected to the meanings of the names. Some of them are not because I just kind of want to incorporate people's uh, people, a few people that I, I know's names. For instance, my son, his name is in it. His, his name is Kion, which means leader, and 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 I will I put his name in it for for him to see himself in the book. Right, I I think that's that's such a strong message to convey to people, and it's especially like you said, it, it, it's making sure that you get to people at their foundation and making sure to build them up to, to show them that it is possible. You want to get something done, it is possible. You can get it done. Um, when, when, when I think about my own personal childhood, like it, it's these books like that, that influenced me so much more where like, I, I can still think back to the key messages and it, it's, it, it's exactly how you learn um, through, mm-hmm. and it, it affects everyone because you can either do it by reading it yourself, hearing it from someone else, as well as seeing the illustrations to connect everything together. And I feel like that that's where like the most powerful message comes from. And I, I honestly appreciate you making something like this. Thank you so much. I, I agree with everything you just said, man. I agree. And uh, yeah, this, this, this is, this is like this for me, this is really the really personal, you know, for me. And I hope a lot of people can connect with it. But like, like what you just said is exactly it. I guess one of the final questions that I've been now wondering for a while is how can I get my hands on your book? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, I got an easy answer for you. You can go to my website, www.iamkwamiose.com. You could just type in my, my name on Amazon and all three of my books are there. Or if you got any any social media, preferably uh, Instagram, iamkwamiose, just send me a, a direct message and I can definitely get you a signed copy. Well, that is awesome. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Zane. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. And now it's time for the CFRC weather report. Tonight, we're expecting mainly cloudy skies with a 40% chance of flurries this evening and after midnight winds southwest at 50 kilometers an hour, gusting to 80 and a low of zero. On Thursday, December 1st, the forecast calls for a few flurries ending near noon, then a mix of sun and cloud with winds west at 30 kilometers an hour, gusting to 50 and becoming light in the afternoon and a high plus three. Thursday night, cloudy periods with a 30% chance of flurries and a low minus 3. On Friday, sunny skies with a high of 6. Friday night, cloudy skies with 60% chance of showers and a low of 6. On Saturday, December 3rd, we'll have cloudy skies with a 70% chance of showers and a high plus 9. Saturday night, cloudy periods with 70% chance of showers and a low minus 6. And the outlook for Sunday, December 4th is sunny skies with a high plus 1 and Sunday night cloudy with a low of 0. And now over to Alexandra Fernandez with the City of Kingston Traffic. Hi everyone, I'm Alexandra Fernandez and I am bringing you this week's traffic report brought to you also by the City of Kingston. The City has been notified that effective immediately the CN train delivery service schedule will be changing for the Invista site. The train will now be scheduled to arrive on Sunday, Tuesday and Thursday nights between 9pm and 5 in the morning. The districts that will be directly affected by this include the Meadowbrook Strathcona District, Lakeside, Trillium and Portsmouth. Motorists, cycles and pedestrians can take a listen to these 
listings of streets and related messages for travel information of interest to you. On Garrett Street from Division to University, it will be closed until December 2nd. Lower Brewer Spring Bridge will be closed until further notice. Raglan Road from Division to Vine Street will be closed on November 30th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed until January 21st, 2023 at 7 p.m. And Wright Crescent from the south intersection of Palace to 16 Palace will be closed until Jan 31st, 2023. The School Streets initiatives is still in place and will be on weekdays until June 29th, 2023. The following streets are closed from 8.40 a.m. to 9.10 a.m. and 3.20 p.m. to 3.50 p.m. McDonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. The third crossing bridge from Ascot Lane to Point St. Mark is an active construction site. Contractor is maintaining site protections. However, trespassers are circumventing the site fencing and ignoring the signage that the road is closed. No public access is permitted until the formal opening occurs in December for the third crossing. An additional left turn lane on the west side of the John Counter Boulevard and Montreal Street intersection has opened. A new water rock causeway removal will continue, meaning an increase in dump truck traffic on the west side until completion in, no tem- in December around the John Counter Boulevard area from Montreal Street to Ascot. Access from John Counter to Village on the River Apartments is currently shut down. Residents have been notified to use their Montreal Street access during this temporary closure. Pedestrians will still be able to use the temporary access path north of JCB, which will be maintained at all times. Cyclists will be single file on JCB. Traffic signals at the intersection of Ascot Lane on John Counter Boulevard will be operational when the bridge is open in December 2022. And because of the decreasing space available within the construction fence, there will be dump trucks on staged on the ring road waiting for their turn to get loaded. So just keep that in mind too. An additional hydro pole and electrical is going to be added into the parking lot west of the Ascot intersection. So keep in mind for that as well. Highway 59 Gore Road traffic signals at the intersection of Point St. Mark and Gore Road will be operational when the bridge is open in December 2022. Access through the south leg of Point St. Mark at Gore Road remains closed. Um, construction temporary access within the fence down to Storm Pond is now cut off. The only access that is available to use is through the library parking lot. So keep that in mind as well. Some other delays that you can expect for this week. Division Street from the 401 eastbound on ramp to 401 westbound on ramp. You can tentatively expect a lane closure on Wednesday, November 30th from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. for crews. Um, to complete a soil excavation for the Ministry of Transportation of Ontario. The 401 westbound on-ramp will be closed during this time period. Again, that is Wednesday, November 30th from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Division Street from Pine to Raglan, you can also expect a lane closure on Wednesday, November 30th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, Front Road from Sandy Bay Lane to Country Club Drive, you can expect traffic delays due to lane reduction to a single lane each direction until the end of the year. Highway 33 east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, you can expect delays as well. Construction barrels and flag people will direct traffic around the work zone. And Jackson Mills Road near the KMP Trail will be reduced to one lane for roadside safety improvements, but it does remain open in both directions. That's all for your traffic report for this week, and now let's hear about some fun events coming up in Kingston for this week. Kingston, boy, do I have the rundown for you. There are a lot of things happening this week and this weekend in our amazing community. So here are some things that you should definitely consider checking out. Um, There will be a headspace meditation, which requires no registration. This drop-in group is for engineering students and will provide them a space um, to meditate and just 
feel a little bit better during this stressful time. That is happening on the 1st of December, which is a Thursday, this coming Thursday, at the Beamish Monroe Hall, located at 45 Union Street at 11.30 a.m. So check that out if you're an engineering student and you need a little bit of time to meditate and de-stress. Some other things happening this week um, on campus and not on campus as well. The Kingston Holiday Market is back, which is very exciting. That is happening at the Tet Center for Creativity and Learning on Saturday, December 3rd at 11 a.m. And it's also occurring the same times for Sunday, December 4th. This is a local handmade holiday market with over 40 local handmade vendors joining the Tet Center to um, have a really fun Christmas market. This is free admission and it is a very short walk from Queens and it is right beside the Isabel Bader Center. So be sure to check that out if you're looking for a little bit of holiday fun and if you also want to support local vendors, local art and more. There is also a men's basketball game happening this weekend. Definitely check it out. Go support your Gales team. There is women's and men's basketball for that fact. The Queen's University um, will be, Gales will be going against Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, tickets are $10 in advance or $12 at the door. If you're a current Queen student, you can get in for free when you log in with your net ID. The women's basketball game starts at 6 p.m. and the men's basketball game starts at 8 p.m. Again, this is happening on Friday, December 2nd from 6 to 10 p.m. Students, you can reserve a free student ticket in advance, but if you're a public person, you can buy your tickets in advance online to save money or you can pay for them $12 again at the door. You can also go on gogalesgo.com to check out any games that you want to check out for the season. Not only is basketball going on, but also hockey, but definitely check it out. Um, Basketball games are very, very fun to watch. Another thing that I would highly recommend folks checking out would be a night um, of music at the mansion happening on Friday, December 2nd. The Astros will be performing at the mansion alongside some other bands. Um, So you should definitely check that out. You can DM the Astros on Instagram for tickets or you can go online and get them as well. Um, There are other things going on as well. There is a cabaret concert happening at Theological Hall if you're a Queen student, which will be very fun. Um, This is done through the music program. There is also um, some performances by the Mountain Community Theater, Miracle on 34th Street, happening this week. I believe that that starts on Thursday, December 1st, and is going on for the weekend. So you can also check that out. It will be at the Domino Theater um, at 52 Church Street in Kingston. Some other things that you could check out as well. There are hockey games is happening. Women's hockey, they will be playing Ryerson on Saturday, December 3rd at 7.30 p.m. at the Memorial Center. Um, And then there is also a Kingston front next game happening on Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Leon Center so you can also check that out and go get your tickets. Anyway that is all we have thank you so much for tuning in take care stay safe and we'll see you next time.